0: All right. I want to begin um, my message this morning with a confession. And uh, I I hope this doesn't cause you to think any less of me or our home. Julie and I, my lovely, we like to watch TV. Don't judge me, okay? I'm just saying we enjoy watching TV. Part of what we do, because we get to do what we get to do, it's very people. intensive and we celebrate that and it's great but when we get home watching a television show together or as a family is kind of a great way to decompress and kind of ha huh. everybody just gonna kind of do that real quick just kind of huh. doesn't that feel good? Well that's what kind of what we do and there's been one show in particular over the years that's kind of become our go-to, if you will. This is something that we enjoy together, we, we understand, we're familiar with it, we're comfortable with it. We've seen a lot of the episodes maybe once or twice or more, but there's one show, and I could tell you about it. But I thought this morning I'd give you an audio clue. So it's a very very brief one, so you're going to have to listen very closely. But I want to ask you, just when you hear this clue, if you know what it is, just say it out loud what the name of this show is. Listen. Law and order, come on now. Law and has been on the air forever. There's been law and order on TV since Moses was a boy. I mean, it's been around for a long time. Now, as much as Julie and I enjoy a good L and O, our enthusiasm pales in comparison to Julie's dad, my father-in-law, Joe. Joe has seen every single episode four times minimum. I'm talking about each. And we know this because anytime Julie calls home, you know, in the evening especially, there's always a law and order on somewhere. And you can hear it blaring in the background at her parents' house because Julie's dad's a lifetime, lifelong bird hunter, so his ears don't work so good anymore. So when he's watching TV and you call long distance, I don't mean you can hear that the TV is on in the room. I mean... You can hear every line of dialogue. You know exactly what's going on. And so Julie will be like, Oh, Dad, are you watching L&O? It's like, I am. Turn it on A&E. And so Julie will turn... And it's not uncommon for Julie's dad to narrate through an episode with her on the phone. Now, if you've ever watched Law & Order, you know that every episode reaches a a point where the case could go one way or the other. And you just don't really know. And Julie's dad... We'll always say, what do you think, Julie? Do you like her for it? What do you think? Is she guilty? Did she do it? Be careful. Be careful. You don't know everything yet, Julie. There's a twist. There's a twist coming, Julie. Don't rush to judgment. There's a twist. And so that's kind of become a, a mantra in our household. Anytime something happens in life, an unexpected circumstance Or something happens that we weren't planning on. We'll go, hey, there's a twist. Be careful. You know, one of the things that I have discovered and just noticed in life, like in law and order, is there will be twists. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, there are some twists. I mean, that's just a fact of life. But here's something else I know to be true. It's in the twists of life that God reveals himself most clearly and most powerfully. It's in the twists of life, those things that we didn't plan on, a lot of times those things that we don't like or enjoy, where God reveals just how profoundly he loves us, just how great his power really is. And this morning, as we wrap up this series, Living the Dream, Where we're going to find as we go to our boy Joseph one more time, that as he reaches kind of the final installment of the biblical account of his life, there's a twist. But it's in this twist in Joseph's life that everything that gone before starts to make sense. It's in this twist. Where Joseph sees the hand of God leading him and guiding him, even in things that God wasn't in favor of, he was able to use for Joseph's good and for God's purposes. Now, just by way of review, if you weren't here last weekend and judging by the size of the crowd this morning, there were a lot of us who were not here last weekend, but that's another story joseph's life was full of twists i mean he was he was born kind of the spoiled favored son of his dad jacob and and jacob really favored joseph over all of his other sons so much so that he he made that coat of many colors and joseph kind of wore it around with pride and joseph was a dreamer joseph had a, a vision that his life was going to be different than all of his brothers and Very immaturely, he shared this dream with them. And it caused them to resent him and hate him all the more. So much so that they actually planned to kill him, the Bible says. And one brother, Judah, spoke up and he said, you know what? He is our brother. Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. And so they sold him into slavery. He's just sold to a passing caravan going down the road. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't care. They just knew that they were taking Joseph away. And there in Egypt, Joseph is sold yet again as a slave into a military guy's household. And Joseph begins to establish credibility even as a slave. And he's entrusted with running this household so much so that the master of the house, his wife, kind of takes notice of Joseph and she kind of begins to become attracted to him. And when Joseph doesn't respond to her advances, she accuses him wrongly of an attempted assault. And Joseph is put in prison. And he's forgotten in prison. The Bible says for 13 years until the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh, begins to have some nightmares. And nobody in his kingdom, none of his sorcerers, none of his magicians can interpret the dream. And one of Pharaoh's most trusted advisors, the cupbearer, kind of the sommelier of Egypt, comes to Pharaoh and says, I knew a guy in jail who interprets dreams. You ought to call him up. And so Pharaoh summons Joseph, and Joseph not only interprets the dream, but he provides a plan for Pharaoh to use in the manifestation of this dream, because Pharaoh's dreams meant that there would be seven years of plenty, an incredible harvest for seven years, followed by seven years of famine and scarcity. And so Pharaoh not only summoned Joseph to interpret the dreams, he then appoints Joseph To administrate his entire empire through these seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. You want to talk about some twists and turns. In Joseph's life, there were some serious twists, but it's only here once he has been restored and brought back from prison that the twists all along the way start to make sense. I want to show you what the Bible says about Joseph's life in Genesis 41. This is where we pick up the story. The Bible says in Genesis 41, all the world, say all the world, all the world world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. All the world came to buy grain in Egypt. That was the only place that there was any grain to be had. And they had to go through Joseph to get the grain. Now, when you say all the world, all the world would, of course, include Joseph's family of origin, the brothers who sold him into slavery, the father who thought he had been long dead. They were going through this famine as well. And Jacob gathered his boys together down on the farm one day. And he said, what are you doing sitting here looking at each other? There's grain in Egypt. Go get us some grain. And so Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers travel to Egypt. It was about 255 miles as the crow flies from where they lived to where Joseph was. And so they traveled that 255 miles and approached the guy who was in charge. Interestingly, they did not recognize Joseph. They, they had forgotten Joseph. For all they knew, Joseph was dead and gone. Slaves didn't last a long time in that environment, in that era. And so they approached this guy and looked at what happens when they come to buy grain. This is amazing. Genesis chapter 42. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now, remember Joseph's dreams when he was a 17-year-old snot-nosed little punk. He told his brothers, I had this dream. There were these 11 stacks of wheat, and they all bowed down to another stack of wheat. And I think that means y'all are going to bow down to me one day. And you can imagine the brothers did not respond kindly to this. And Joseph goes, No, wait, there's another dream. There were 11 planets, and the sun and the moon all bowed down to one planet. I think that means that you and mom and dad will one day bow down to me. Isn't that neat? Now, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Can I just see a show of hands if you've got a brother or sister? What if your brother or sister told you, I don't know what this means, but one day you're going to bow down to me. Listen, I have two little brothers. They're not little anymore. They're, you know, 43 years old. But if one of my brothers had said that to me in love before the Lord, I'd have punched him in the nose. I just, that would not have gone over well. And it was those dreams That lit the fire of all Joseph's problems. All the twists and the turns stemmed from those two dreams. And so now the Bible says that Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Can you imagine when Joseph sees them coming and they say, Please, we are bowing down. Could we have a little bit of grain from you? Please. What would you do if you were Joseph? I was trying to think about what it would be like. If I was Joseph, I'd have been like, drop the mic and walk off the stage. That's right. (laughs) I told you, bowing down. Fortunately, Joseph was a little more gracious in victory than I would have been. Look at what happened. In Genesis... The Bible says that Joseph began to interrogate them. And he goes, why are you here? What are you doing? And then he began to accuse them. He said, y'all are spies. You're here trying to find out where our defenses are weak. I know what you're up to. And, and, and the brothers, man, Jacob's sons are like, no, 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 no. You got us all wrong. No, 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 no. That's not us. We, we just need some grain. Our dad's back home. We just want some grain. That's all we want. We're not spies. We just want some grain. Can we have some grain? We're not spies. And so Joseph begins this very involved charade. And he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you some grain, but do you have another brother? And, And they said, well, I mean, there's Benjamin. He's the youngest, but He's back home with dad. He's the youngest one. And dad said we couldn't bring him in case anything were to happen to him. It would kill him. We had a brother a long, long time ago, and something happened to him. But if anything happened to Benjamin, it would kill our father. And Joseph said, bring him to me. And they're like, whoa, whoa. And Judah, the oldest, Judah steps up and says, sir, please, you don't understand my dad. We're going to be in so much trouble. We cannot bring Benjamin. He said, well, then you can't have any grain. Judah said, We'll be back with Benjamin. And so they went back home and explained the situation to Jacob. And the Bible says that Jacob began to grieve even at the prospect of Benjamin leaving the farm. But sure enough, they went back to Egypt. They needed the grain. They were that desperate. And they brought Benjamin with them. And the Bible says that when Joseph saw Benjamin, his brother, from the same mother, they he lost it. He said that the Bible says that Joseph went into a separate room from where everyone was and he began to sob uncontrollably. He began to weep so much so that the people outside the room heard him. And Joseph by this point was a man of great status and power and men of great status and power don't cry much. But I want you to think about being in Joseph's sandals at that point. Let's do a little bit of math together, shall we? The Bible says that the brothers came back and the famine was two years in at this point. So two years of famine. Now, before the two years of famine, there had been seven years of plenty. So we're at nine, right? Two plus seven is nine. Okay, good. Thank you. Now, when Pharaoh summoned Joseph to interpret the dream, the Bible says that he had been imprisoned prison for 13 years. So you've got 13 on top of that nine. That gives us 22 years since Joseph had been sold into slavery. The Bible says he was 17 years old. 22 years of twists. 22 years of wondering whether or not God had forgotten him. 22 years. And Joseph is reunited with his brothers. I think you can understand where the tears came from. I think you can understand the emotion of that moment. Look at what he said. Genesis 45 verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, "Come close to me." And when they had done so, he said, "I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold you into the one you sold into Egypt." Now, <clears throat> when you read this, It'd be easy to kind of skate over something very, very important, but it's so critical in understanding how the twists of life get worked for God's good and ours. And it's right there in what Joseph said when he goes, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. You see, at this point, Joseph was going under an assumed name. When Pharaoh summoned him from the prison, when Pharaoh commissioned him to be the second most powerful man on the planet, he had given him a new name. He had given him a new name. He had given him wives. He said, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a prisoner. You are now elevated. But Joseph had never forgotten who he was. Joseph had never forgotten Forgotten, And it's important that you recognize here the importance of recognizing your identity. Uh, that is too important to skate over. Recognize your identity. Tell your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm, hey, recognize your identity. Hey. It's too important. Now, <clears throat> it's incredibly important when you start to understand what's going on, when we talk about our identity, when we're talking about who we really and truly are, our identity, another way of thinking about your identity is not just the name that's on your driver's license or your student ID. Your identity is your soul. It's who you really and truly are before God. And that's, Kind of important. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the United States Treasury is in the middle of issuing a brand new $100 bill. Did you know that? There, there's a new $100 bill coming. So, right now, for the United States Mint and the Treasury and the Secret Service, it really is all about the Benjamins. Because, you know, counterfeiters, counterfeiters do not spend a lot of time. Making ones and fives. I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble of counterfeiting money, give me some honey. You know what I'm saying? Give me some honeys. Some some Benjamins. Some serious lettuce. Cabbage scratch. Donuts. Dollars. You tracking? And so the government decided, man, we, we gotta, we've got to create a new $100 bill to preserve the integrity of the hundred. I've actually got a picture of it. Take a look. At There's the new... $100 bill. Ben. Ben was a handsome guy, wasn't he? Now, incorporated into this $100 bill are all kinds of security features. I couldn't tell you about them. I could, but I'd have to kill you. There are so many classified security features built into this $100 bill in order to preserve the integrity of the $100 bill. Joseph. Joseph through all of the twists and the turns of his life preserved the integrity of his identity he remembered who he really was and so i just want to share with you just make sure that you understand a few critically important things about your identity about who god made you to be number 1 your identity is divinely appointed Your identity is divinely appointed. God made you on purpose. God crafted, God shaped your soul, your identity, because He wanted you here. Your identity is divinely appointed. Number two, your identity is absolute, it's real. It's, it's absolutely a part of this world. It's not somebody watching from outside. If you've ever had you know some of those experiences, I remember when, when Julie and I got engaged, I remember proposing to her. And it was almost like I was watching somebody else do that. Have you ever had a moment like that? You're like, whoa, that was weird. But it was really and truly me down on my knee asking Julie to marry me. So your identity is absolute. Number three, your identity is unique it's unique real quickly do me a favor I want you to look around the room just look around the room at the faces that are here not just the people right next to you but look look all around the room alright does God have a sense of humor or what (laughs) he does but that's part of God's creative genius is that he never makes the same person twice isn't that crazy I mean, you are unique, period. And remember, I'm not talking about sort of unique or very unique. You either is unique or you isn't unique. And you is unique. There's only one of you. And if you combine the fact that your identity is divinely appointed and you are unique, that means that God created you for a reason. God didn't get to the end of the day making people and went, wow, I've got some extra hair left over. Hey, bring that bucket of teeth over here. Let's see if we can put something together real quick. He made you on purpose, for a purpose. There's a reason you're here. A reason in the mind of God. What just happened? But when you think about that, God made you for a reason. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something through your life. You're here for a reason. That's exciting. It's like, whoa. I'll brush my teeth better tomorrow. And then number four, and this is important. Your identity is circumstantially developed or distorted. Your identity, my identity, is circumstantially developed or it's distorted. The circumstances of your life, the twists, if you will, will help to develop your identity or to distort your identity, your choice. Now, I'm curious, how many of you are... Older than two. Can I just see a show of hands? If you're older than two years old. Okay. If you're older than two, you've had some bad stuff happen in your life. You've been wronged. You've been betrayed. You maybe have had some horrible, horrible things done to you in this life. But you get to decide whether those things define you or develop your identity. It's your choice. Will it distort the identity that God had in mind when he created you on purpose? Or will it develop that identity? As you look at the life of Joseph, you see over and over and over again, the twists, the turns, the circumstances developed his identity. So that when his brothers came before him and they didn't recognize him, he could say, I'm Joseph. I am Joseph, your brother. He never lost sight of who he was. He never lost sight of whose he was. He was created by God and he never, ever forgot it. Now, I want you to put yourself, think about Joseph's brothers. Think about being them. Because here they are before this guy. They don't recognize him at first. And they say, could we have some grain, please, sir? And he goes, I'm Joseph. Joseph. Okay, I'm just guessing that one of them, at least one of them, thought a bad word. <laughs> Don't you know one of them just went, oh, no. <laughs> somebody somebody had to, you know, with, with that many brothers, there's got to be a class clown. There's got to be one of them who tries to cut the tension inappropriately, you know? <laughs> Joe, boy, where you been? You never write. Somebody, you know, something happened like that. They were terrified. Here they were literally begging for their lives. We need grain to live. And this guy, whom they didn't recognize at first, became, who revealed himself as Joseph, he holds their lives in his hands. The only person on the planet more powerful than Joseph is Pharaoh. And so they asked for their lives from the one guy that they had betrayed all those years before. 39 years. Now you got to figure, they figured Joseph was dead and gone by now. 39 years ago, it's over. 22 years ago, he's 39 years old. (laughs) I was a communications major, okay? (laughs) 22 years ago, the principle still holds. Don't tweet that. 22 years, he'd been sold as a slave. And then standing before them, the one guy who holds their lives in his hand, and look at what Joseph did. He said, now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord, little L, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, I, I told you earlier in the twist of life, recognize your identity, but here's the key to the whole thing. The entire linchpin of Joseph's life is in this passage. And for those of you scoring at home, the linchpin of our entire lives is found in what Joseph said. To recognize the sovereignty of God. To recognize the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't mean that you recognize it, but like you just kind of notice it. About three months ago, Julie, my bride, hung a bird feeder on our back porch. I don't know what caused this. She just came home one day from Lowe's, I got a bird feeder and see. I'm "Like, awesome, babe." What's been funny is over the last three months, Julie and I, every morning, we take our coffee kind of on the back porch, just the two of us. It's quiet. Sun's coming up. And I'm ashamed to admit this to you. I'm a bird watcher. I I am. I'm like, oh, I think that was a tufted finch. Have you noticed the cardinals land in the grass and then they come up here. And the doves are too big. They can't really get on it. It's so sad. Don't tell anybody that. I'm just being transparent here in the church family, okay? I'm just saying we're bird watchers. We recognize the birds, but you know what? We're not engaged with the birds, the birds, the birds. Joseph was not observing the sovereignty of God. He was trusting it and interacting with it all along the way, all along the way. Now, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, it's very important that we understand what we're... is sovereignty of God is a great theological premise. But it's great theology only because it works. You need to remember that. Good theology always works. Bad theology is how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. I don't know. We can talk about it, have a glass of espresso, Whatever. But good theology works. And the sovereignty of God is alive and well in the twists and the turns of a life lived in rhythm with God. And that was what Joseph did. This is important about sovereignty. Sovereignty just means the absolute authority of God. The absolute authority of God. Now, you and I have to kind of get over something. There's something in every one of us, and especially those of us born in America, that we kind of reflexively recoil from absolute authority. We were like, "Ooh, I don't know about that. But listen, we're talking about God now. We're not talking about a human holding a position or an office. We're talking about God's authority. And God's authority is absolute. It just is. It's why the Bible says that when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will acknowledge the authority of God. That'll happen. And the sooner you and I get under that authority, the sooner we're dealing with reality i can deny the authority of god i can keep god at arm's length like i don't like i don't like that absolute authority bums me out but i'm not dealing with reality it's it's like if i told you i love that we gathered here today for church on this beautiful thursday morning you'd be like time out bro it's sunday it's not thursday you're not dealing with reality Reality is that God's power, God's authority is absolute. It's not a question of if that will be recognized. It's a question of when it will be recognized. And Joseph got this. And it was in the twist and the turns that he recognized the sovereignty, the authority of God. This is important about God's sovereignty. Number one, God's sovereignty is absolute. It's complete. Number two, God's sovereignty is interpersonal. It's relational. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says that God is love. If God is love, that means he's relational. And so every time he brings his authority to bear in my life or in your life, anytime I submit to his authority, I'm submitting to to his love number three god's sovereignty is interactive it's interactive it's not just god reigning from on high from his throne unilaterally although he could if he wanted to he's god but he chooses to interact with us to delegate some of that authority to us how many of you are parents we we blessed y'all earlier in the service prayed for you okay You are living out the reality that God's authority is interactive. He's given you authority in your home. Your kids need you to live that out, to exercise that authority in a godly way for a very simple reason. They need to eat. If you don't exercise your authority in the home, woe unto you and woe unto the teacher your kid walks into their classroom tomorrow. But you have that authority by God to exercise it in love and in trust, but to exercise it. It's interactive. Matter of fact, last week we talked about something that our church is going to participate interactively with God's authority starting on September the 8th. The Explore God effort. You may have seen billboards around town. You might have seen something on the news this past week. But over 350 churches in Austin are opening the doors of the church to spiritual conversations with people who don't normally go to church the unconvinced and so as a church we're a part of this this is exciting i want you to look in your program that you got when you came in today <clears throat> in that program is a card that looks like this one of the things that we're going to do and have already begun working toward is to create some explore god discussion groups This series of messages starting on September the 8th is ripe for discussion. If you want to be a part of one of those, fill this out. And when our service ends in, I don't know, a couple of hours, right outside the door here. That's a joke for those of you who are new. (laughs) Preacher humor. But right outside the door, there'll be people that would love to take that card and will help you get into a group. We've got over 70 new groups that are forming teachers and, and the facilitators are already being trained and prepared for this. It's coming. So it's a great, great deal. Also, if you're sitting on the end of your row, look underneath your chair if you don't mind. There's a stack of invitation cards that look like this. In front of them say, we all have questions. This is another way that we're interacting with God's sovereignty to invite people, to be people who invite people, invite them to come along starting September the 8th. I'm asking everybody to take five of these and to invite somebody, invite somebody, you know, bring them on. Say, man, we're, we're starting this thing. You may have seen it around town, billboards. I'll pick you up. We'll go get a Starbucks together, come to church, explore God, and then I'll take you to Luby's. But I'm asking you to please invite somebody. Here's the deal. Last year, during the month of September, we had about 2,300 people or so who worshiped every single weekend with Lake Hills Church. We're praying and asking God that this September, there will be 3,500 who worship with us to explore God together. And the reason we're doing that is not just so we can say, oh, there's 3,500. Because every number has a name. Every number has a name attached to it. And that name is somebody who also has an identity stamped by God himself who matters to him. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. We want to share with them how much God loves them. We want to share with them how God's sovereignty bears out in the twists of life. So I'm asking you to step outside your comfort zone pray about people you know who are not connected to a church not connected to God in a meaningful way and invite them get them here with you that's the kind of church we are that's the kind of church we will always be but September the 8th is such a great opportunity we can't miss this it's too exciting so the sovereignty of God is interactive sovereignty of God is also salvaging 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 How many of y'all remember the TV show Sanford and Son? Go ahead, date yourself. That's okay. It was in the 70s, I know. Sanford and Son, you know, Red Fox, Lamont, you know, they owned a junkyard. And they would take other people's junk, bring it into their junkyard, and then try to sell it to other people to make something useful out of it. That's what the sovereignty of God always does. The sovereignty of God always salvages that which other people would say is useless to make it useful. As a matter of fact, the word salvage comes from the same word that we get the theological word salvation. They are intimately connected. And that's what Joseph was getting at with his brothers. That's what was going on here. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in Genesis. The very last chapter in Genesis. Look at what Joseph said. He said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me. You just wanted to get rid of me and sell me into slavery. But look at what God did in His sovereignty. Because you sold me into slavery, God put me in a position that I could help many lives being saved. That's the last thing you need to know about the sovereignty of God. But it may be the most important. The sovereignty of God is always good. Don't miss that. The sovereignty of God is always good. It's always good. Oh, and not most of the time, not when God has a good day or he's really on his game. Always the sovereignty of God is good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. The saving of many lives. Now, I personally, we don't know this, but I personally do not believe that Joseph realized how right he really was. I think in the context of that conversation with his brothers, he meant in that moment, God is saving many lives through me, through this grain and famine thing. But you and I, with the benefit of history and hindsight, know that there was something much bigger going on. That because Joseph was in the position he was in in Egypt, Jacob's family was preserved. They were saved. and Jacob's family was perpetuated through the oldest brother Judah and Judah became one in a long line of ancestors to Jesus you see it was through Jacob's family that God preserved a remnant that would become the nation of Israel. And it was through the nation of Israel that God gave us Jesus. And it was through Jesus that God fulfilled the prophecy that He had promised to Abram when He said, I will make your descendants as many as the grains of sand on the beach or stars in the heaven. You'll never be able to count them all. And through your family, Abram, through your faithfulness, And my sovereignty, God said, the entire world will be blessed. So when Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, God meant it for good. And even now, this is what's being done, the saving of many lives. I think in that moment, God was inspiring Joseph to prophesy the coming of Jesus. And Joseph didn't even know it. but it was real and it was true and it happened so much so that Jesus hearkened back to the days of Joseph in John chapter five, when he said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life crossed over from death to life it's important that we understand in god's sovereignty he doesn't want us to just have a better life this is not self-improvement self-help 101 one among many on the shelves at barnes and noble or amazon but it is literally the saving of many lives This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. When he died, when the Bible says he became my sin and your sin. And he rose again. When he got up on that third day with the promise of new life. And that is living the dream. That is what this whole thing is all about. There will be twists. My father in law was not the first one to say that. God has promised that. Jesus even told us in this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in the sovereignty, in the absolute authority of God, he wins. He overcomes, and he offers you new life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you if you will please recognize the importance of that promise. The significance of the fact that God invites you, like he invited me, into New life in Christ. To realize our identity, the one He gave us at birth. And to recognize His sovereignty, His authority, to live in that, that is so good. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with that God, I want to invite you to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting. To pray a prayer of beginning that relationship. Not just to be religious, not just to go to church. But to live day in and day out in a relationship with the only one who loves you perfectly. I want to invite you right now to remove every distraction, please, and focus on what God is doing in this moment, because it's too important. It's too good. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. Just talk to him and say, silently, right where you are, just say, God, I need you. I give you my life. You are God. I am not. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. And I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I give you my life, all of it. I pray this prayer in your name, Jesus. if you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment more. This is sacred ground that we're on right now, folks. If that was your prayer today and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want to ask you to do something. Very quietly, but definitively, if you would just raise your hand and hold your hand up high over your head for a moment. because this is the most important moment of your life. And as you hold your hand up, we want to just pass something down the road to you that is for you to help in the next step. To grow in this relationship, to begin to walk in it day in and day out. It's not about going to church. It's about knowing God, loving him, living with him in every arena. And so as a church, we honor this moment in your life. We celebrate it as a church. You know, this is there's nothing that happens in a church family more important than that. That God just did in your life. And so we celebrate that with you. We want to be a safe place for you. We want to be a, a home base, if you will. And so as a church, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.